Hi everyone, Nick here. You're well aware of NFTs by now, but you may not be aware how many different verticals within NFTs are starting to emerge. 10K PFPs are getting most of the attention, but the creative empowerment underway is much more broad than punks and apes. One vertical I'm especially excited about is photography. I recently sat down with one of the leading photographers in the space, Isaac Wright, also known as Drifter Shoots. Isaac's photography speaks for itself, but he's also had an incredible journey to get where he is today. Here's our conversation. I'm pumped to connect. Yeah, no, no, it's super good to connect. And um, yeah, no, when you when you brought this up, I was like, let me think, because this this week, like at, towards the end of last week, there was just like, can we do a meeting Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? And I was like, oh, I feel like everything was filling up super fast in a matter of like one day, like the same day you you like asked. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm really glad we had the time to do it. So. I'd imagine before things started to go crazy for you, you weren't much of a meeting person. Oh, I was yeah. like, I mean, last year was like so different because it was like, okay, well, the first half of the year was really me being incarcerated or almost the first half. And then I get out and then I'm like selling a little bit of work. The New York Times article comes out. Okay, still selling a little bit of work. Then it like blew up, blew up like, I'd say August through the end of the year, like, yes, you know, and so, um, and then we made it, you know, through the crux of like all the legal stuff in November. And then I've just kind of like fallen back and taken some time in, uh, like the rest of November and December. And then now I'm like back to work, but yeah, now, now it's like, we get to focus on things that are cool, like a documentary and a movie and things like that. And that's like, stuff that's like coming up now and like takes my time now but it's exciting. Do you, have, do you have people that are working with you that are helping manage stuff too i do um my friend andrew who he worked on my case with me in like crisis communication he has an extensive background in film and television he's helping work with me on this as well um and it's good because we already have that foundation of trust, you know. Known him for a while. Yeah. Well, I I met well, I met him. He came into my life during my when I was incarcerated. Oh wow. During days. And then we became like super, super, uh super, super good friends. Nice. Um after that. So it became like a personal relationship that was birthed out of a professional one. Um yep. I mean he was he was there at like the worst of the worst moments, like how we crafted everything to the New York times and stuff like that. It was like, Andrew, I mean, like, I, I mean, I said everything, like I sat down and did the meeting, but like, you know, I was just freshly getting out and like Andrew, like helped me with all of that and a lot of other things. So that's amazing. You know. How did he even learn about your story when you were incarcerated? Let's see. So when I was incarcerated, like I used to ask myself every single day, like, what does work? look like for me and how and like how can I win this situation because because like they when I was incarcerated in Arizona for two months with no bond I had like an hour out a day like for for a long long time and they had already gone on the news and like put out a false narrative put out a false narrative to other jur jurisdictions and it was like that's when I realized like the only way I'm going to win this or like get a very good outcome is if I can flip the narrative. Like if I can, 
if I can get the truth out to people and it's only going to come through like the use of social media and or mainstream media. So I started calling as many friends as I could. Like I didn't even want people to know what was going on because like my urban exploring community is very like they weren't very supportive during all of it. Like a lot of them like disagreed with how I shared work on social media. And like, I was, I was like, I was doing and what is in our eyes, like some of the biggest spots and best spots in the country. And like, but then I was also openly sharing them. I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to hide my work for five years and then release it. Like that's what some people right. do. And I always wanted more from my work. Well, to do that, I have to build a foundation. So I'm not going to hide all my work. I'm going to share it. Um, so a lot of them, I, I just didn't want people to know what was going on because I, I was already getting slandered enough and then uh, ended up getting slandered more and it was okay. But then the right people came, you know, like I talked to a friend who happened to have an upstairs neighbor who worked for the New York Times and they were like, would you just mention this to someone at the Times and see if like they're even um, interested in looking into it? So Dave Phillips, like, you know, he's a he's a multiple Pulitzer Prize winning writer. Like he he got win, reached out to my lawyer. My lawyer and him were back and forth for a month or two. I was back in Ohio now in February, March, and April. Um, and uh, they were going to interview me while I was in there because there was no clear way if we could get me out uh, with this at this time. Like I had already. They had already gotten me charged in three states total, including Ohio. At one point, I couldn't pay the bond in Ohio because they they jacked my bond up to almost a half a million dollars, and like it was wild. So, um, but that's then I got out and like a day later sat down at the New York Times, and then two months later the story would come out. Yeah, and uh, that was a huge turning point because all the shit that like had been done in the dark and like all the different ways that they were treating me, stuff they said in court, ways they used my military background against me. It was like no longer could they do any more of that. So um, I don't know what, I don't know what changed. I don't know who made the call to like tell them to stop coming and trying to arrest me and get me charged in other cities, but it stopped. It stopped in July. And That's crazy. yeah, that so was the same. The New York that. Times article had, had that big of an impact on just, everything to do huge. with the situation yeah it was huge because well here's the thing why because we basically told them without telling them like we had 60 minutes like abc <laughs> it was like all like every major news channel wanted to sit down and like interview me at this point and we were just like look like you guys know like you're gonna lose this fight because like you can't hide anymore like the yeah. there's like shit on the record like we can pull the court documents and have you saying this. We can like go to, to the officers in these states and like have record of what you told them in order to portray me as like a violent criminal and someone that, you know, needs to be like, like, like every time I was arrested at gunpoint, which was three times, the narrative that was put out was that uh, first in Arizona was that I was wanted for armed robbery, that I had kidnapped my friend that I was uh, in the car with. Uh, I was sitting in the passenger seat. They were driving. Um, that I have extensive military background, special operations, which is true, but I don't have a criminal record. I've never hurt anybody. Um, and so basically just put, and they put this narrative out 
after I got out too, to the Kentucky State Police and told them that, like he, he essentially told them that like I escaped from incarceration. He didn't tell them that like the judge let me out and it was crazy, man. It was, it was super, super wild. And all of that ended, I think started to end at least with the New York Times article. Cause after that, there was too much visibility. Like the article really boomed and then the New York Times reposted it at the end of this past, at the end of 2021 as like, their top story that you might have missed for the year. And so that brought a second wave of people kind of like through to read the story and whatnot. But it, it was it was just a visibility thing because like me, like so many other people, was just getting stepped on and I didn't have money to like pay my bond. So yeah. they could just keep stacking cases on me with the same narrative. Like no one at the end of the day, no one should care that much about someone climbing a structure and taking a photo. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't steal anything. Like they try to say that in court. Oh, Isaac was uh, was stealing, was uh, damaging our cameras. Like they said a whole bunch of shit and then like had no evidence to back it up, which is why at the end of the day, like we settled on me. I, I go and see my judge once a month, but I'm not, con- I didn't get convicted of anything. Yeah. 20 something charges, 30 if you count all the other states and like no convictions. And it's like, I went through this whole year just for us to settle on this when we could have done this shit from the get go. And, you know, like had to go through extreme psychological trauma and, and you know, just all, the whole extent. So you mentioned the urban exploring community that you've been a part of for many years. Has anything like this ever happened? Never. No? Never. And that's what like, Dave Phillips brought that up in the um, New York Times article. Like it's, it's never happened. There was, there was questions about race because I'm one of the very few African American explorers, yep. you know, out there in the community. Like it's, it's a 99% white male dominated space. And, you know, like I've seen my friends get caught on structures. I didn't get caught on a building or a bridge or anything. Yeah. You know, I've seen them get caught on structures. And, you know, walk, walk away with like, oh, they go, they'll go down to the precinct. And then like when they get to court, like it gets dismissed or they get community service or, you know, like. But then when when it's me and I don't even get caught on a structure, I, you know, get hunted down based off my background and like demographics. It's like, yeah. dude, this is fucking wild. So, no, nothing like this has ever happened. And. I don't want to say it never will again, but like, I just don't, I just can't see it. Like, I feel like I was the right concoction of different yeah. things for them to make the story kind of stick to people's minds. But yeah, I don't know. It's also crazy how much power the New York Times has, right? Like that they can kind True of, too. they can write something that just kind of changes uh, the narrative uh, completely. And thankfully in this case, it was a good thing. Um, yeah. I think there's also cases when it's a bad thing too, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you just never really know. Like in this case, like Dave, Dave is a very level-headed writer. So like while the New York Times is a very um, left-leaning like organization, like Dave wrote a very balanced article. You know, he didn't say, he didn't come right out and be like, yeah, the lead detective is a piece of shit and this is a clear race issue and there's veterans issues here and this is profiling like no he just 
wrote the facts and he let people decide for themselves, you know? I think it was the response that it elicited. I think more than, than it being the New York Times that wrote it, it was the response that it elicited because people were able to draw their own conclusions and people from all backgrounds were coming to the same conclusion of this makes no fucking sense. Yep. And why is this going on and how do we stop it? And I think that's why, like if, if it would have escalated further from there, you yep. know, like, and we had like, it was like, okay, like if this doesn't work, then like we'll, we will just go on national television and like have Isaac tell the whole story and if you want that to be the way that it's going to be, then like I was, I was ready to go. Cause at that point I'm like, dude, yeah, I, I, I don't have, I had nothing to lose. It's right. the same reason why, like I came out and I got into NFTs and stuff. Like my lawyers were like, don't sell your work. Like they could, the prosecution could use that against you. And I'm like sitting here with like five of like just amazing lawyers. And I'm basically like, with all due respect, like go fuck yourself. Like I'm going to do what I have to do because a like you need to get paid and I don't have any money and like be like it was more personal for me of like I'm not gonna let these people like step on who I am and like take sure. my identity. like that was what and like you see so many people that go through things like this and they're just scared for yeah. the rest of their life or they're just whatever and it was like while I definitely have gone through and still have like a lot to work through mentally from this whole experience. It was like, look, I've in the courtroom while I was locked up, like not taking the easy way out this entire time. And you knew, you knew at the end of the day, you had a sense for yourself of what was right. Right. It's funny you mentioned that about the lawyers too, because I, I have similar discussions with founders where there's some founders that just listen to what a lawyer says and, yeah. lets, like that, and lets that dictate the business. And yeah. that's the best way for you to not have your business grow, right? right? Like you have to, particularly in crypto, where like things have been uh, so gray area for so long in crypto, it's like you kind of have to understand the risks, right? But at the right. end of the day, you can make your own decision. And obviously that, that has paid off for you in a big way. So when did you first start selling NFTs? Because my understanding is you didn't really even know about NFTs until like mid- 2021 yeah may may june may i started selling i sold my well i got i i learned i my when i was incarcerated my my friend christian who was managing my phone and is now working with me to design a shoe he calls me he's like dude he's like i'm just out here like and he's like there's these things called nfts and of course he tried to explain it i'm like what the fuck is that because when i went into incarceration none of this shit was real. Like I was on photo Twitter and we would share our work and like whatever. But I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then I get out and I see it. Like I get back on Twitter and everyone's like, had been like waiting for me. And I was super excited. And I had like, I had like 9,000 followers at the time. And like, I, I was, I just hopped straight in. Like it may, it, it clicked right away because like I started selling them in May, end of April, beginning of May. It just clicked because it was like my work's illegal if i approach a typical gallery with my story slash my work it doesn't matter how good my work is like a lot of them are going to be like i don't know and like yep. you don't have any experience and like but then like i see nfts and it's like look everything rises and falls on me so like i was like i was like oh i already know like what i've been through 
I know where I'm going. I know what I want to build. And so it was like, oh, you're telling me all I have to do is build the framework, the support system and a collector base. Like I can do that. Yep. I can do that because I like, I know my work's good enough, but more than that, like I know myself, I know what I've been through. I know where I'm going. Like I, I know what it's taken for me to get here. So I just dove right in and like, I made a few one of one sales on foundation in May, like, like 1.5 ETH, like, you know, and it was like a little starting point. Um, but then a lot started changing. I'd say like June heading into July, like 888 collected um, one of my pieces. And then um, like where my vans go came out and a lot of big collectors didn't get in on the first drop. Like we sold out really fast and a lot of photographers weren't doing collections then either. And I didn't even know about twin flames. Like I had no idea about Justin's twin flames. Like I just was so, I had so much stuff going on in my own life. Yeah. I had already, I had been rearrested twice at this point. It's been another, you know, week and some change locked up and then got back up and had a New York times article. It was like, all I knew was this space held great potential. So yeah. then the second drop comes out in August or to be late August, beginning of September. And it was just like, lots of big people buying in like it went really really well like 888 bought up a bunch of pieces then like vincent van doe bought in and like then it was like okay like we could really do something and then we started getting huge secondary sales and it was like man like okay like i and it, it made me the money like between the first and second drop i was like i can pay my i can like take care of my case now and like pay my lawyers take care of my family um so and, and then, some of those, a lot of those early sales actually went to fund. A, a oh, lot. my legal defense. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I, I, I didn't start enjoying like the fruit of where my vans go until the final drop, which was crazy because we sold all 40 pieces in the final drop at 10 ETH and like, no, like on primary and the, and the seven auction pieces all went above 20, 20 ETH all the way up to 55. But like no one in the, no one in the photo community had done a drop like that. Yeah. Where they're like, I, I'm charging to like, I'm the last, the second drop 0.5 ETH, the first drop quarter ETH, yeah. but the floor had gone up to 20 and I came in, like I had been built. I, I waited two months before the final drop. And I just was like, look, and I did three auction pieces like leading into it before I did the final drop. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to drop the last uh, like 40 pieces. And like, I had a bunch of people like tell me like, dude, you're fucking crazy. Like, there's no way you're going to get 10 ETH. I was like, why? The floor is 20. Like, yeah. the floor is 20. Why would I not? Why <laughs> would I go and charge like three ETH now and just have people quick flipping my shit for the rest of my life? Like, that's why a lot of collections have shorted out. Like, they, they've shorted out because either people have dumped all the pieces at once or they've not built something. Yeah. And I was like, I want, want you to look at like what we're building. Like, everything can't be like a twin flames framework. Like, how that worked. And because it was so early, it's not going to work like that ever again. It's like what works for one person doesn't work for another person. So that's a great way to think. I don't fully understand Twin Flames and why the floor of Twin Flames is like, what, 100 ETH or something. Yeah, um, this is actually a really great discussion because um, like you've got twin, my, twin Flames and then you've got where my vans go. But I mean, it's night like. Justin is 3,000 ETH ahead, volume traded in, in front of where my vans go. Like it's a long, long road, you know, but I think we're going to get there in time. Um, I do too, by the way, the story and the, the work. I mean, I, to me, it just hits different than any 
photo collection. But I obviously people love Twin Flames too. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think Justin did well there? Or why why are the dynamics the way they are there? Well, I know Justin. I'm friends with Justin. I can I can tell you this. One, he was early. So like Twin Flames yeah. is your crypto punks of yep photo collections. Two, he got big players into the space into his collection early g money some of these other people who back then were running the punks discord and like like we're, we're running the punks community and like he got into he got into discord like the collection really wasn't booming like that he mm -hmm. gets into the discord into the punks discord and he starts like selling the collection like how like what what would it take to get you involved and then the big turning point was this he Sotheby's was was asking the NFT community to vote a project in as like best community. Yep. And like Justin went and got everyone to vote Twin Flames into Sotheby's. And so when it got voted into Sotheby's, at that point, all the big money in the space jumped on board, started buying up Twin Flames down the line, you know, in the fall, G Money and some other people helped get it into Christie's and the rest is history. Like, I mean, they, you know, by that time they were already selling, you know, for 70, 80, 100 ETH, like, yep. you know, plus, you know. So it is definitely one of those, like, Justin is a great community builder. Like, people could look at Twin Flames and other collections and be like, I don't understand why this collection isn't doing whatever. Justin is a great community builder. Like, he yep. is that, he is that, uh, like, he's extremely, extremely intelligent. He knows exactly how to bring people together. He knows what he's building. He's a great people person, like he is, you know. And this is one of the things I, I don't want to say I missed out on, but it was like with everything that was happening last year, like I, I didn't have time to dedicate to like a grind of like trying to find who's the right person, who do I need to get behind this? It was like, yeah, this is my story and this is my work. Yep. And like, I think we're building something really awesome. And like, I'm taking the secondary sales and like putting them aside for nonprofit I'm building, like, let's just, let's just build, you know, and like, we've been able to build something so amazing, but I feel like, I feel like we're like, with where my vans go, I feel like we're on the cusp of like, it really like blowing the top off. And there's like, you know, lots of different, it's coming, you know, I like the more grassroots approach, right. Where it's like, yeah. you're not relying on some big brand uh, to, to legitimize it or something like that. But yeah, there's certainly value in the in, in the big brands as well. So it's just it's just optics, really. You know, yeah. like people people attach. I mean, would it be cool for me to be like, yeah, a year ago I was incarcerated. Now a year later, like I'm in Sotheby's or Christie's. Like, yeah, yeah. that'd be really amazing. You know, that's like more for me, like a something I've seen. But at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm gonna get this collection there, with or without anybody. Like I know myself, and I know how much it means to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. So you mentioned the community aspect that hits for me. It's like a lot of people think it's just about the, you know, the artwork, the visual, right? And yeah. clearly NFTs are equally about, about community. Right. And you said you haven't been focused on that just because you've been focused on other things, but it seems like recently uh, you recognize that and also are kind of emphasizing it more, would you say? Yeah, it's not even that I wasn't like, no, I was definitely focused on community. It's yeah. just like, it is more of a, it's, 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 there are politics. There are politics. That's what it really is. When it comes to like, you start to realize like before, between like 
10 to 20 E floors, huge difference, 20 to 30, 30 to 40. And then like everything above that is like, that's a lot of money for someone to spend on one NFT, right? Yep. So the, 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 like the community has always been there. Like people rallied behind where my vans go to get it to where it is yeah. now. But, yeah, of course. but what Justin was able to do is identify who pulls the strings for like whales and dows in right. space and like that, that kind of stuff. Like that's the stuff that like takes this to who's, who is dropping people that are dropping, you know, a hundred ETH on a PFP project and it can do it 10 more times, 20 more times. And like, what is going to convince them to buy a photograph? Yeah. You know, like that is like what I've come into this year trying to figure out. Cause yep. we ended the year having sales, like went through that bear market, had secondary sales all through the bear market. But like, you know, in the past week of selling like five or six pieces, it's been like me, like, yes, rallying our community. And now I'm getting a discord manager to like really build, build the discord. But also it was, it was also me. I'm like out here actively talking to people that have shown interest or even have it. And I'm like, what, what will it take? Like, what, like, would you like, cause I, all the time I get, like, I love the work, like Beanie, Beanie DMs me all the time. And he's like, oh, <laughs> I love Like, he's like, yeah, your work's incredible. I'm like, Beanie, why don't you fucking buy one? Like, you know, like, but he won't, he won't do it. Like he just, he's like, I'm, I'm a collectibles guy, you know? Yeah. Like, so it, there's a ton of people like that. Or like Gary V, Gary V came and stopped me and was like, yeah, you know, like him and his brother, they were like, we're, we were trying to get in. We were kicking ourselves why we didn't get in earlier. I'm like, you bought a Twin Flames at like 80-something ETH. Like, dude, you can buy in now. Like, But I think they're waiting to see. Like, a lot of those people, they will buy in at 50 or 60 after they've seen their friends buy in. But the question, like, other photographers, they don't have this issue. Like, it's, it's really just kind of me and Justin who have built collections to where now you're asking crazy amount of ETH for pieces, you have to find people that can buy those. Yep. And so you have to know where to look in the space, not just for like capability, but for interest, yep. you know? Yep. And that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Well, look, it's obviously a very long-term game too, right? And you're focused on, you know, getting where my vans go to be top in the long term yeah um, the truth is it's been less than a year right yeah it's not even yeah dude this is a long long-term game like yeah. i'm not i and, and i've had to stop myself coming into this year and be like isaac what happened to you last year from like experiencing like the full spectrum of like human experience of like complete misery and like no money and then like wealth and then like i mean like all and just blowing up like it's not normal like and and you have to slow down and reassess that this year is not going to be the same you know and how you build over time is like is really it you know like and that's that's the goal so i'm i'm just uh yeah i'm thinking about the long term you know but now like i have a goal of like month to month if i want to move the floor from here to here or I want to sell these pieces. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. small things, small yeah. things. How are you thinking about making drifters more accessible? Because there's yeah, where right. my vans go, which, you know, I think most would agree is like a grail photography NFT collection, but most, most people, 
you know, can't, can't get in that. Um, I imagine you're thinking about how to, you know, to grow the overall collector base, not just the whales. Yes, exactly. So I did, I did my first edition piece back in October. Um, and it was like, it was a 200 piece edition piece at 0.25 and uh, like it sold out instantly and the floor now is like 1.2. So it's, it's been there and it's created value. Like it's the best, it's the best edition, like selling edition piece of any photographers and the, the value has been there. And I just did it. I did it to broaden my collector base, like, because there's not as many, um, not as many people can't afford it. Like I will probably do one to two edition drops a year just for people to like, like there's been this huge debate lately with photographers. They're like, Hmm, like an edition drops just a cash grab. And I was like, I don't really look at it that way. Like I look at it as like, this is how I can broaden my collector base. You know, it's not like I'm throwing out a ton of one of ones, like sure. my one of one supply will probably cut, not probably definitely cut in half like this yeah. year. Like when I, what, like when I, Got on foundation. I think I sold 10 or 11 art pieces on foundation. And then I've sold 10 on super rare. And then you've got the one-on-ones in where my vans go, which is going to be their own separate entity, but I'm not doing another collection anytime soon. So it's like this year I might put out 10 pieces on super rare and like, that's it, you know? So, um, and then just focus on where my vans go, you know, where my vans go. If it moons, it will just raise the value of all my other work anyways yep. you know especially if there's not a lot of it uh available um so but i was yeah i mean i'm i'm just doing I, like i will probably do addition drops once or twice a year you know like there's no need to like oversaturate but i want to give people a chance like i have a nifty gateway drop coming up this week yeah and, um, and, and what's the what's the number of, what's like the number and the price on that there's a ranked auction of 15. Um, there is a addition of 30. It's a drawing of 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's 14.99. And then there's a one of one. And this all came from this bridge I climbed that like was also a big part of my case. And like this bridge authority, they're suing me for 1.3 million dollars, and they just continue to lose in every court case. And so. Is that in, I don't know. In Cincinnati? It's in Mac. It's the Mackinac Bridge in Michigan. Like uh, I, I won the criminal case when I was incarcerated. Like there was no evidence of me on the bridge. I then won the First Amendment issue in the civil case to be able to share and sell the work. And now instead of just like, instead of just being like, hey, and I offered to, I offered to fix their security too. Like I was like, look, if you guys let me photograph when I'd like on top of the bridge, I'll fix your security. Mm-hmm. Like you won't have to worry about anybody else climbing on it because I guess two other people tried to climb it and they got caught. And it was like, you can't blame me for that. Like your yeah. guys is, you can't blame me for like photos being taken. Like your guys' security sucks and I can <laughs> fix it. But instead of like working with me, they're like, fuck you. Now we're going to sue you for $1.3 million in damages when I have never damaged their bridge. They're just saying, they're saying because I've made money off of my, they called my, my NF, me selling my work as NFTs, 
and like my art collection and selling it, they called it a criminal enterprise. They said Wright is running a criminal empire where he has sold millions of dollars of pictures that were obtained illegally. I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like I'm in court and they're like, they're like, Wright's work is, is like child pornography, your honor, because it's only valuable because it's illegal and people don't have access to it. A prosecutor said that verbatim. And I was like, this is wild, dude. Yeah. Like the, the, the reaching yeah. is so wild. So That's yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're going to lose yeah. all in all, but I've just, it's just the having to take the time to even go through this nonsense. But yeah, that's, that's annoying. I've got to pay more lawyers. And, right. Yeah, you know, but at, at the end of the day, it's like, you know what? Like, NFTs have made that possible, so I will fight through yeah. this and, and, like, with a smile on my face and still sell the work in the process. So. We've jumped into kind of what's happened in the past year, but talk a little bit about before that you were in special forces yeah. and then got out and i don't think you were doing any urban exploring maybe you didn't even know what urban exploring was before but i'd love to just hear your journey to that world yeah no i um yeah i joined the army in 2014 and um i i always knew i wanted to do like be at the best like just be the best of the best and like whatever i did i I joined the army because like, I really just wanted to continue taking care of myself. Like I'd already been like working and doing a large majority of like fulfilling my own needs since I was a teenager. And it was just like, okay, this makes sense. So did you join uh, you around 19 or so? I was 18. Yeah, I was 18. Yeah. Did you graduate so right high school? Yeah. Yeah. I graduated high school and I went like a month later. So did you even consider, uh, did you consider another path? I did, man. I was a really great athlete. Um, what sports? Football, basketball, baseball, like f- football and baseball, especially like super, super good. And like I had offers to play at the collegiate level and just didn't, wow. um, I didn't want to stay local. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to go to school. Like none of it sounded, sounded appealing to me. And I don't know. I had this dream of being an army ranger and like, that's, I had been stuck in my head. So off I went. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I, I did really well. I, I promoted ahead of peers like my entire career and, um, come 2018, I deployed in 2016, uh, 2018, I was going through really, really tough time. I, I lost my long-term partner. I had lost uh, a friend of mine in Afghanistan. I lost two friends to suicide. And now I had just moved to a new base. I moved from Fort Bragg, North Carolina in special operations to a light infantry battalion at Fort Polk, Louisiana, which we endearingly nicknamed the asshole of the army because it's a shitty base. But, um, (laughs) and it's in the middle of nowhere. Like truly, it's not like New Orleans, Louisiana. It's like the other side of the state in this town called Leesville. So um, I uh, I just remember like I was I was I was struggling. I was struggling hard and um, I joined this new unit and I remember thinking like I can either like sit here and just complain about being here and now at this point too I was starting to have kind of a shift where consciously I could not I consciously I was not 
as okay. Like when I first came into the military, I didn't know a lot more about myself and my history, my heritage than I did by the time I was 21, 22. So mm-hmm. when I, so at this point, I kind of wanted out of the army because I didn't feel like I fit there anymore. Like I had promoted really well and I had done really well and I've gone through all these amazing courses and like, you know, I, I just, but I felt consciously like I couldn't, I couldn't support it anymore being a black man in America and seeing America's treatment of, of black men and then going and fighting for that same country. Like I felt like we had our own issues here in the United States at home. So, um, and this was following like two very life-changing experiences with police and like experiencing racism in the South while I was also serving in the you know, United States military. And so there was a lot that was like really changing my my mindset and things that I, things that I hadn't blatantly recognized when I was living in Ohio and growing up, but now my, my eyes were starting to open to a lot. So, um, but also during that time, the unit I joined uh, was returning from Iraq, uh, uh, deployment in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria. Um, and at the time I was in charge of basically talking to a lot of, uh, well, talking to a lot of soldiers as they were working through issues, getting them connected with uh, mental health providers and chaplains, like with the issues that they were facing. A lot of them were suicidal. I mean, this is from the lowest ranks up to like even majors, like, you know, field grade officers like coming in and talking to me. And uh, that summer we ended up losing three soldiers to suicide. One of them was attached to us from another unit and two other ones were in our unit and, like this was my job to where I know that summer, like I saw so many, so even when I was off duty on the weekends, I was visiting the soldiers, calling them, texting them. Like Fort Polk has one of the highest suicide rates of any base in the army after Fort Hood. Wow. It's just so isolating and there's nothing to do out there. Soldiers drink and then they don't do anything and you know, they get in their heads. And How connected um, to the internet and like what's going on in the internet were you at that time? I was not, I mean, like I had an Instagram, I had a Twitter, but I didn't start photographing until 2018, May of 2018. So it's been three and a half years, yeah. you know? Um, and I started exploring and stuff in May of 2018 while I was in the army on active duty, like a big risk, but like, I just, I don't, I don't know. Like I needed a release, honestly. And I didn't know it at the time. But I started exploring and I just fell in love with it. I was, I was, I don't want to do anything else, you know, and knowing that like it was August of 2018 where I like, I like 220 Central Park South is now almost a thousand foot tall luxury condo skyscraper on the edge of Billionaire's Row along, along Central Park. And like at that time it was a construction site and I climbed it and at sunrise I was standing on the balcony of one of these luxury uh, condos, like it was under construction still. And I'm just looking out at Central Park and I was like, I, whatever this is, like, I just want to do this for life. Wow. Like, I just, so this when you were still in the army? Still in the army, yeah. Cool. And I had, I would be getting out of the army if I, I got medically retired because I got injured, but I would be getting out this May of mm. 2022. I had a long way to go. I had re-enlisted when I deployed and like, I thought I was going to be in the army for life. Uh, 
But yeah, so then like every weekend, dude, I was driving two hours or three hours to Houston or four hours to New Orleans and like, or if it was a four day weekend, I'd save my money. I, I sold my car that I had at the time. And then I got like a junker and was like, just driving that around. Like every, like I started gearing all my entire life towards photography, you know, and I just loved it. I mean, I just started traveling, climbing, climbed all over Houston, you know, like, cause it was the closest city and me and my friend, like that I met there in New Orleans, uh, Houston, New Orleans, like climbing all over and just shooting, 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 shooting. And, and I started. You, and were you sh pretty early on in that? Were you starting to share on social? Yeah, I started in 2018. Um, but like my work sucked. <laughs> I mean, like I just started photographing. I don't feel like I honestly, honestly, like I took some good photographs in 2019. But I, I did not feel like I got good, good till 2020, hmm. which was also, you know, the year I would get arrested. It was the year I got out the army, April 2020. But then what happened was eight straight months of traveling, shooting, like a blitz of just exploring all over the country, city, this city, that city, this city, that city, whatever. And I had taken some good photos before, but I felt like during this time I took my best work. I, you know, climbed bridges on the border of the United States and Canada and the Mackinac, like all these different places. Right. And, um, but it wasn't just, and I was doing it by myself too, largely, you know, it was just, it had always just been like my own sense of like therapy and then, of course, like with time and practice, if anything, like you just get better. Your eye gets better. Your, you know, everything just kind of gets, it just becomes instinctual, honestly, you know. So I started, like, I just explore and create off of a feeling of like, this is where I should go. This is the picture I should take. This is like, you know, it just kind of, um, it just feels right. Um, so uh, end of 2020, November, I'm coming back to my home city of Cincinnati where I did the climb that would change my life forever and uh, climbed our tallest building. And um, there's a giant crown on top that's extremely difficult to climb, but I climbed it, I photographed it, I, whatever. That night they sent 20 officers, five bomb dogs and some people into the building to capture me. Uh, because they saw me on a security camera on the top floor. I had to cross over the top floor to get into the other stairwell. Uh, unbeknownst to me, I'm up on the crown of a building shooting it. Didn't know there's an army of police officers in the building uh, trying to arrest me. I get out of the building. Uh, I go back in. I walk down. I walk out. Never saw the police the whole time. They were all on different floors. Hmm. Um, so... And then beyond that is when this detective identifies me, gets wind of my military background, puts out this nationwide warrant and this crazy narrative about me. And then I get arrested in Arizona on my way to Las Vegas because I just kept traveling. Like I just kept traveling and shooting. I was like, well, I'm pretty much done with Cincinnati. Like I shot the things I wanted to shoot. I shot the Red Stadium. I shot, uh, you know, a couple of different towers there. And I was like in the bridge and I was like, mm feel like I'm pretty much like I've done a lot. I can come back and do more anytime. So, uh, yeah, I was arrested and then held without bond for two months in Arizona. 
brought back to Ohio, finally told what I was being charged with. They arrested me with my GoPro footage. Like I traveled with all of my stuff because I was building a video project. Arrested me with my GoPro footage, took that footage to every single jurisdiction possible, 65 to 70 jurisdictions, tried to get me charged in every single one of them. And uh, yeah, and that was all while I was incarcerated. Um, so I was, yeah, I was extradited back to Ohio, was supposed to get out. The detective on my case calls me down to talk to me. And it was like, I just want you to, know, we've only had one conversation ever in our entire life. We've seen each other in the courtroom, we, whatever. He was part of my final rearrest when I was arrested for the third time in my dad's apartment, minting my second NFT, by the way. He, uh, uh, he was part of that arrest, but we've never talked to each other ever since. He was like, he calls me down. He's like, you know, this detective, Detective Ruberg, I want to talk to you. And I was like, my lawyer's not here. I'm not going to talk to you. And then he does the old, like, trying to scare me. Like, well, I just want you to know you're never getting out. Like, this was his words verbatim. He said, I want you to know. He's like, I know you have you have arraignment tomorrow and you think you're getting out. Because I was finally back in Ohio. I was like, oh, I can get I can get bond now. I'm not, I'm not a fugitive. Uh, he was like, but I just want you to know you're never getting out. And he was like, um, he was like, I got the papers signed in Michigan, a warrant in Michigan today. And so you're going to have a holder tomorrow. And it was like, and by the time you, you can take care of Ohio, Michigan, it was like, there'll be other cities. And it was like, and it's just going to pile on and pile on. And eventually down the road, you're going to get sentenced and spend years in prison. And so I just look him in the eye and I'm like, can you take me back? To, like, can I go back to my cell now? Like, I don't have anything to say to you. But that's the day that I knew, like, I was in for a huge, huge fight, you know, so. And you were, uh, you were able to stay pretty calm through this? I mean, were there times when. Yeah. You oh, dude, there was moments where, of course, I mean, if you're in my shoes and you're being discriminated against and you're being fucking stepped on and you're and then you get in court and you watch like people that are supposed to uphold the law like and have never served in the military sit there and speculate about how your fucking lethal weapon 10 and like are gonna hurt everybody and escape the country if you get out like yeah, yeah if, if you're in my shoes like you're fucking pissed you know like here's something that like should work for me you know like with me being you know not just serving in the army but being a three-time volunteer you know and serving at the highest levels of the military you know, losing friends, watching friends die, like, you know, coming home with PTSD and then like that's used against me in open court, like yep. the biggest slap in the face ever. And it's not like it surprised me like it's America. It's not like racism or any of these things surprised me, you know, or their 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 narrative they put out on the news of me, the picture they put up of me was not me in my military uniform. It was me in civilian clothes when I was on active duty holding a handgun, like looking like a menace to everybody. Like it was like, it was like I had seen it a million times, but this time it was happening to me. So like, yeah, I mean, like there was times where I could, I, but here's the thing. I couldn't afford to lose focus. Yeah. Because if I, if I, if, if even once in court, I had an outburst or I said something wrong or I fucking popped off on a CEO or this detective or whatever, then I, I give them everything they need. I yep. give them everything that they're trying to say that I was. So it was like, if I do this, then I am now violent and crazy and whatever. Like, right. you know, and I'm like, well, I'm not a violent person. 
but like I take care of me and I take care of mine. And like, you're not going to fucking step on me and think that I, that I'm not going to fucking step back. So then I had to ask myself, what does fighting back look like? I can't beat them in this sense. Like I can't, you know, like I, like I, like, you know, after being rearrested twice, you know, they, they took my phones, they took my car, they illegally seized it without a warrant. Like, they were doing a bunch of fucked up shit before that New York Times article came out. And it, it, like, the whole time I was locked up, though, it was like, how do I win? How do I win? How do I win? How do I win? Yeah. And I was like, I just have to keep telling my story. Because every time they throw, throw fuel on the fire, eventually that fire will turn around and burn them once people know. Yeah. So, and now you're winning big, right? So yeah. now I'd imagine some of that you just used to fuel you to keep winning even bigger. Oh, right? dude, I have not even scratched the surface of the way, like I chose to stay in Cincinnati, you know, like I would gladly move out to New York or somewhere like that, where like I could climb around a lot more and whatnot. And that. But the thing is, is like now, now it's personal like it's personal it's personal in the sense of like my family's here and my friends are here but also going through this system and like watching how fucking corrupt it it all is and then like it just made me want to change cincinnati in general like and i will do that i will do that strictly based out of my art like my art will make the money to fuel investments. My investments will make the money to fuel businesses, which will fuel nonprofits and other things that I want to do. And like eventually, like they won't know the pushback from all of this. They won't know like what it looks like for years, but every year it will evolve more. Like, and you I, could I argue, yeah. you could argue drifter shoots is the hottest thing happening in Cincinnati right in Cincinnati. now. What, what else? That. What else? Making the playoffs, whatever, <laughs> man. They're gonna fucking lose anyways. But like, I, I, yeah. You one could argue that, but they do not care. Yeah. So, I don't know. Like my, my thing has always been too. It was like, look, this is my struggle, my story. Like, part of like, like my work for me, at every stage of this, I've been like, what is work? Like. I've got to build like, yeah, there's been like building, building my social network and building, you know, collector base and whatever. But it's like all of that is a means to an end. You know what? Well, I'm always thinking like, what do I want to do with the money earned? Well, what do I want to do? Well, now it's like I'm I'm building, you know, like I'm helping my family invest. I'm helping my friends invest. My cellmate has a whole new life. Like he's a convicted felon, but he's not coming home to like scraps. He has. He has like basic needs and necessities so he doesn't get involved in a lifestyle that's going to land him back in prison. Like another one of my friends, like where my vans go has funded whole new lives for them. And not just that, but like I can be there to help show them like we can we can work together on things. If I take my crypto profits and then diversify into physical investments, like they can help me run them. They yeah. can help me manage them, so cool. You know? I see you gave your brother a, a, a an ape also. Yeah. That's like I cool. bought my apes back in, in summertime, like with the foresight then. And that's the thing too. It's like artists, you never see artists. I'm not going to say you never do, but you don't see a lot of artists reinvesting wisely in the space. And I get like, not every artist is trying to be an investor. They just want to, they just want to make money and then like 
use that to go make more art, which is what I want to do too. But like, I am like, I'm, I'm multidimensional in the way of like, I want to own businesses. I want to, I want to run nonprofits. Like I want to run Cincinnati one day. Like, you know, like I, 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 I can see it now. Like in my head, that's where my head's at. Like every time, like, do I love being in the punks community and the cats and apes? Yeah, I do. Like, it's, it's awesome. I love the NFT space, but like, I, I would get bored if all I did was just, you know, like <laughs> flip all these things and like never, like there's, there's purpose behind it, you know? And like my art has been for my own freedom, but now like it gets a chance to be for the freedom of other people. And, and like, I, I just can't wait to see what it looks like in three to five years, because by that time, if everything keeps going the way it is now, it's like, I'll have physical businesses and I'll have my own nonprofit that I'm building right now. And like, all of this stuff will be right here in Cincinnati. And so like everywhere they go, they're going to fucking see my shit, you know, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little vindictive in that sense, but I haven't taken my anger or my, my, like justifiable anger and sadness and like pain out on anybody else like you're, you're I just suffering it positively that. right you're you're bringing yeah. shit that people want to the world and and right. that's the ultimate fuck you right yeah it, it, it is especially for so many people that tried to defame my character and for so many people that try to defame who i was yeah. but it's also it's bigger than that too it's like it's it's a fuck you to my exploring community because it was like here I am doing more, doing bigger spots, taking better pictures than a lot of you guys, but I never had your support when I was locked up. Well, that's fine. I don't need it, you know? Like, but now it's like I'm in the fine arts world, I'm in the NFT world, like I'm I'm stepping into being a business owner. Like yep. if I want to go explore wherever I want in the world, I fucking can go tomorrow, you yep. know? Like, and like I every single step of this way, it's like it's okay if the world's not paying attention yet. Like I will make them pay attention. Like yep. that's my been my mentality the whole time is because like I know every every bit of like how much this has hurt, I just use it to drive me to like rise above. Like even now, like people are looking at what's happened this past year. I was like, turn that page and like keep it there. Cause I'm telling you, I feel it. It's not even, it's not even close to like what's coming, you know? And I know that because every step of the way I've, I've felt, I can feel different milestones like inside me, like, okay, I'm arriving here. I can tell you the day where I knew no more bad shit was gonna happen to me, August 5th, I felt it. I felt it on the inside. I was like, um, the page is turning. I'm now on the other side of this thing. And that's exactly when where, where my vans go blew up. Mm -hmm. And like from there on, it was just like, it's been better. Like I'm on the other side now. So I'm focused on, like building, 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 you know, and, and I want people to see the why behind all of it. It's great to stack ETH and make money and all this stuff is wonderful. And like people deserve, like artists deserve to have good lives, but I've always wanted to be a lot more than just an artist, you know, or I feel like artists, like there's, there's way more to it. You know, I want to be the architect behind things that are extreme extreme pillars of change in my city like i want my city to be like <clears throat> the um the uh, uh what's the word i want people to be able to look at cincinnati as like an example 
of like different change and stuff in the future. I would like, like I'm big into, um, I'm big into prison abolition and like building a future where we have, we have like all the meat, like we create an environment where a people are well taken care of and not completely stepped on. I believe in capitalism without stepping on other people. I believe in capitalism where people are rewarded for what they do and the hard work they put in, but they also give back as they go and they help build up, like they legitimately help build up other people. Like I want to, I want to see what that looks like. Like I want to design that and see if we can have self-sustaining communities like that in Cincinnati. This is decades down the line. Yeah, you yeah. Know? You've got a lot of love for the people of Cincinnati, it sounds like, and kind of where you got a lot of love for people in general. Yeah. Just people. You know, yeah. like I don't I'm the same way, but I care about people on the internet more than I do people in the in the real world, I would say. Yeah. It but makes it sense. sounds like you have a lot of love for like where you came from and want to lift that up, which I I'm jealous of. I don't really I just don't really have that. But you know what the thing was is like I didn't have it until I went through this whole thing. Yeah. Like I was like, I was like, I will never live in Cincinnati. I left Cincinnati at 18, never came, like was like never moving back, never whatever. Like I chose to stay here because I going through this, it didn't, I already knew the bigger picture, right? But it's different when you got skin in the game. Like it's different when like you've gone through it yourself. You've, you've like stood up to the system yourself and beat them. Like you've gone through being incarcerated. You've gone through being that poor person with no money. You've gone through being like, um, you know, like, ha- like being portrayed to the media in this sense. And like, I went through all, all this, like, and I have, wa- have watched my father go to prison. So like, I, I like, this time like it's different now because it's like maybe it's just maybe it's just for me truthfully like on the inside where i'm like i'm gonna be the biggest fuck you to all you guys ever you know but it is it is like definitely i just care about people and i think that like we are so used to seeing america being built to where it's like people's success comes at the demise and like the the, 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 um, the, like, uh, I don't know what the word I'm thinking of is, but like, it comes at like the demise of other people. I don't think it has to be that way. I think that's kind of a disease that we've, we've, uh, perpetuated in American culture. It's, and I'm a, just it, it's zero, it's zero sum versus positive sum. That's what's so great mm-hmm. about crypto in general, I would say is it's, it's very yeah. much positive sum and, I don't know. I, I personally, before I got into crypto, it's like it felt like society in the U.S. was very zero sum. But crypto is very much, I think, for the next even decades, still a positive sum game. Yeah, I think so, too. And that, that's why, like, I am heavily exposed to, like, crypto and Web3 and, and the NFT space right now is because I see the positive so much, you know, and like after like taking care of myself and paying off my case and like building my home, it was like, what do I do? Like, I guess I could, I guess I could just travel all the time, take pictures and climb all the time. And I would love that. But I always felt like I've had much bigger of a purpose. So now I want to see if I take 10 like-minded people here in Cincinnati and we start with a portfolio or I can get them all to, like us, like basically like a DAO, um, like us all come in and like 
we, we start investing together, I just want to see what can we do? Like at every, what can we do in three months, six months, a year? And then what can we turn around and build in the physical world here? Like maybe we take some profits and we build this business or we build well, whatever. I've got like a couple more minutes, but I did want to talk a little bit about that because sneakers, that's, that's an obvious business for you, right? Whether yeah. it's with Vans, I've heard you talk a little bit about creating your own sneaker company. I'm going to create my own regardless. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm in the process right now. Like I'm not waiting on Vans because Vans has had their chance. And if they were going to do it, they would have done it by now. Like we've yeah. talked, we've emailed, we've, you know, like I'm not, plus like I'm big on ownership. I'm huge on ownership. Like I, I don't, I don't wait on anyone. Like, like my work and like what I chose to do, like after getting out was like my way of saying fuck you to everyone, to my lawyers, to the judge, to like the police. Like I was like, I'm not waiting on you to be successful yeah. or to like keep me in your good graces. And like, like, I'm not thanking you for not sending me to prison. Like you knew you were wrong. Like, and you know that I'm right. And the world knows that my artwork has a place here. So I'm not apologizing for anything. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm huge on ownership, like owning your identity, owning your truth, and then build, building out of that, you know, like, I don't like, I built the project where my vans go, because I always explored in vans, doesn't mean, like, I could build my own shoe and go make a whole nother collection, yeah. and maybe it comes out, and it's all international work, and it's where my drifts go, you know what, like, I, and I'll do it, I'll do it, I don't care, you know, That's like, I don't care sick. about, yeah, like, I'm, yeah, I'm so, I'm so with it. Like I, I may never drop another collection until then, you yeah. know, and just take six months a year and go shoot around the world and come back with the craziest shit anybody's ever seen, you know, like that might be what, what I do, but I want to build my own businesses, my own name, my own legacy. Like I don't, I like if Vans wants to get involved and partner, we can partner, but I will still build my own shoe. Yep. Like, you know, like it, so man. We'll I like it. Well, keep, keep me in the loop. I'd love to help any way I can on, on that in kind of anything else you're doing. Obviously we're now uh, part of the, part of the family and want to continue to help. I mean, we, we treat the artists that we invest in just like we treat the founders that we invest in from a company perspective. So uh, definitely let's, let's stay linked up and, uh, and I would love to talk again soon. Absolutely. No, I'm so thankful for today. And yeah, I mean, just looking towards the future, I think right now it is just expanding the collector base, expanding like what we're trying to build here at where my vans go. And as I get my nonprofit up and off the ground in the next three to six months, like it will be a lot more evident because then I can show people like, this is what I've been building all along. Well, I didn't have time to build it when I was fighting for my own life. Like I just didn't. So like now I have a lot more time and, you know, focused here at home. And when I'm not out shooting, like, that's what I want to do. Like, I want, I want people to be able to see what's being built. Like, you know, cause it's always been something where I want it to be like way beyond uh, where I am and what I'm doing. So. Cool, man. All right, Isaac. Well, great to see you. Great chatting. And let's, uh, let's talk again soon. Sounds good, Nick. Thank you so much, man.